All right. Well, brothers and sisters, it's so good that we could be back together. Amen. It's good to see so many of you here. Uh, so this time, uh, myself and brother Rick Scatterday are here to be with you. Uh, due to a situation, brother James is not able to join us here physically in person, but he will uh, take care of one of the sessions uh, by Zoom. So I'd like to just mention something to all of us regarding our time here. This is called the National Serving Ones Training. Okay, it's not a conference, it's a training. Uh, with a conference, we are here for the speaking, for revelation, for supply. But with a training, it's more than just coming to listen to the Lord speaking. It's to allow the Lord to have the way or opportunity to touch us, to touch us. So I hope while we're here for these three days, we all would be exercising very much to open to the Lord and allow Him to work in all of us and even to touch whatever He wants to touch in us. And with the training, uh, there's a few things that uh, we have that I'd like us to just be very exercised regarding. And the first is the schedule, the schedule, okay? So you have the schedule in your handout, and I really would encourage all of us, let's keep the schedule, okay? This is part of the training. So when we... uh, To eat, we go eat. When we meet, we meet. When we study, we study, right? We just follow the schedule. The schedule is a help to us in being trained. And then in the study times, we all should participate in the study times, okay? We shouldn't allow just a certain few in the group to take care of the studying time, but we all should be participating, Then after the speaking, we will have a time for you all to respond. And here it would be very good if we could be exercising that when it's your turn to confirm the word, to confirm the speaking, that we wouldn't have long gaps waiting for ones to come to speak. But it would be good if a good number could come up uh, session after session. Uh, to confirm through your speaking what the Lord revealed or shined or touched in you, uh, and in a good way, even to complete to complete the Lord's speaking. So this is this is our heart for all of us uh, here for these three days in this training. Now let's read the general subject for this training. Knowing, experiencing, and living the all-inclusive Christ for the genuine church life. So you right away will realize that this general subject is something that is of experience, not merely of revelation. Even the first word, knowing, knowing the all-inclusive Christ, this is not merely in the sense of revelation, but this is in the sense of a subjective 
knowing of the all-inclusive Christ. And then, of course, we have experiencing and we have living, living the all-inclusive Christ. Well, brothers and sisters, this was the general subject for the itero, this, well, we call it the spring itero. For you, it's what, autumn itero? And then we just had the Memorial Weekend Conference, which really is a continuation of the Lord's burden that was released in the recent itero. And the general subject was to know, experience, and enjoy Christ as revealed in the book of Philippians. And in a little gathering with some brothers, uh, the brothers who prepared the outlines for the Memorial Weekend Conference, they were just opening up the background to the burden for why such a general subject. And one of the brothers just mentioned that in his random picking up of one of the books in the collected works of Brother Lee, he just opened to a page, and there Brother Lee was speaking about the condition in the Lord's recovery. And in a simple way, Brother Lee's concern was that even though the Lord has given us much revelation, we lack the experience. We are short in the experience of the things that the Lord has revealed to us. And I'd like to begin with this because I feel this really, to me, is the burden of this training. It's not just to receive revelation, but for us to see our present condition, our present need, to be brought more into the experience of the things that the Lord has revealed to us. And even I'm here to take the lead, to confess. I've been in the Lord's recovery for decades, enjoying many things that have been revealed through the ministry, but I am short in my experience of the things that have been revealed. Even this subject, to know experience, well, knowing experience and living the all inclusive Christ. Is this term not familiar to us? The all-inclusive Christ? You know, there was the all-inclusive Christ training in 1962 in Los Angeles. That's 60 years ago. Such a wonderful revelation of the all-inclusive Christ was given to us. And I believe many of us have read the book, The All-Inclusive Christ, and appreciated very much the revelation of Christ as the all-inclusive one. But since we've received that revelation, how much have we gone on to experience the all-inclusive Christ? Right now, could we all stand up? Could we all speak about the all-inclusive Christ? Could we speak of Him in the way of our experience of Him as the all-inclusive one? I believe if such a thing were to happen, but you can be at peace, it won't happen in this meeting. 
but we would be exposed. We know of the all-inclusive Christ. We have received some revelation of the all-inclusive Christ. But if someone were to ask us, tell me your present experience, enjoyment, living of the all-inclusive Christ, we may receive the light that we lack, that we are short in our experience of such a one. Well, the Lord's heart for this is not to put us under condemnation, but his heart is to help us to know our present condition and what our lack is so that we would be like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, that we would pursue, right? We would even forget, forget what is behind, forget our shortage these past years or decades. Now let's pursue this year. Let's pursue this coming decade. If the Lord doesn't come back, let's pursue to gain this all-inclusive Christ, to know this all-inclusive Christ, to experience this all-inclusive Christ, and to live this all-inclusive Christ. Then all of this is for a goal. The goal is the genuine church life. The genuine church life. And as we go through the outline, we will be helped to see that without our knowing, experiencing, and enjoying the all-inclusive Christ, there cannot be the genuine church life. And the Lord wants to see on the earth today the genuine church life. So now let's come to the title for message one. We can read this together. Being brought back to Christ himself. For the genuine church life. Being brought back. We all need to be brought back to Christ. Because many things have come in to distract us from Christ. So the Lord, the one who is in the midst of his churches, he's speaking to us. And I believe message by message in this training, his speaking will bring us back to Christ himself. Okay, let's all read Roman numeral one. We believers in Christ, the children of God, need to be free from all distraction and brought back. Okay, we need to be freed from all distractions. These distractions can be something or some person that preoccupy us and that makes it impossible for us to concentrate on Christ because we're distracted by these things or persons that we are not able to concentrate on knowing, experiencing, and living Christ. What the Lord wants is for us to contact Him in everything that we do, to experience and live Him in everything. But only the Lord knows 
only the Lord knows, from what we need to be brought back from. We don't know. We're so distracted by those things and persons that we don't realize we need to be brought back from these things to Christ. So we need to seek the Lord, that the Lord would shine on whatever the distractions may be. And in a few points in the outline, we'll come to some things that may be distracting us from Christ. But may the Lord shine on these distractions and may the Lord do something in all of us to bring us back to Christ himself. So these references here in Ephesians chapter 3, in Ephesians 3.8, it mentions, you know, Paul's preaching of the gospel was to make known the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is the gospel, this all-inclusive, this immeasurable, this unsearchably rich Christ is the gospel that has been announced to us. Then in Ephesians 4.18, it mentions how that we need to be strengthened so that together we can apprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. What are these? These are just the dimensions of Christ, of this unsearchably rich Christ. And this word in Greek, to apprehend, means to grasp. So in verse 8, the gospel is announced. There is a Christ who is unsearchably rich. And then in verse 18, there's a group of people on the earth who are grasping together, apprehending together this unsearchably rich Christ. This is the genuine church life. So A says, God wants Christ. Oh, I just like those three words. God wants Christ. How about you just declare that to your neighbor? God wants Christ. We we could even say, God only wants Christ. God only wants Christ. Okay. So this is a training for the serving ones. Okay, you're in the you're in the church, you're in the local church where you are. You're a faithful brother, faithful sister, right? To be serving there. And even our service can distract us from Christ. Because we want to carry out the service in a good way. Even we want to carry it out in the best way. But as serving ones, we need to be clear. God only wants Christ. He does not want your opinion on the way to carry out the service. But even in our serving, we can be distracted from Christ because we have our opinion on the way the service should be done. But by the Lord's mercy, eventually we realize to God it doesn't matter that much. Whether it's done your way or his way or her way, this way, that way, 
as long as there's Christ being experienced and being lived out by the serving ones, that's what God wants. So finishing point A, God wants Christ to be the center of all things and to have the first place in all things. Christ being all and in all. So there's the reference in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. It's so clear in these verses that Christ is the center. There those verses speak of creation. Creation was centered in Christ. All things were created in Him. And concerning the old creation, he, He had the first place in the old creation. And then in the new creation, He was the firstborn of the new creation. So actually, all the things in creation, both the old creation and the new creation, Christ is the center. And Christ is to have the first place, the preeminent place in all things. Then B says, Christ is wonderful. He is the wonder of the entire universe. And every item of what Christ is, is wonderful. So in Isaiah 9, 6, His name is the Wonderful Counselor. Then in Judges, says, why do you ask about my name? Since it is wonderful. His name being wonderful implies he is wonderful. And he is wonderful in every item of his unsearchable riches. So his love is wonderful. His patience is wonderful. His kindness is wonderful. His wisdom is wonderful. You know, sometimes we have something about ourselves that we feel is wonderful. Right? This is why we're in the body, because we're this way. And we're wonderful in this way. But eventually, eventually we need the eye self to drop what we think we are and realize actually there's only one who is wonderful and that is Christ. You know, the church in Laodicea, right? they were satisfied with what they had attained, with what they had. And eventually the Lord counseled them, you need to buy from me the I self. So that you would really see, (laughs) see your lack. But also not just to see your lack, we need to see what Christ is. Once we see what Christ is, we're willing to drop whatever it is that has distracted us from Christ. Okay, then see, God's will which is His eternal purpose and desire in the universe, is that Christ be everything to us and be wrought into us as our life and everything. 
This is God's will. This is God's purpose. His desire. This is what God is doing today. He is looking for the ones that He can rot, work Christ into them to the point that Christ would be everything. For this to happen, it requires us to realize that we are nothing. That we can do nothing. And that we can be nothing. John Nelson Dobby, right near the end of his life, he said something like this, Oh, the joy, right, of being nothing, right, having nothing, right, and caring for nothing, but the, I think, the, the Christ in glory and His interests here on earth. May the Lord bring us to be such ones. Oh, the joy, right? That we would be nothing so that Christ could be everything. This is God's will. This is what God is looking to work out in us. So we should ask the Lord to give us the experiences that we need for Christ to be everything and for us to be nothing. Okay, D. Paul wrote his epistles because he was clear that many good things, such as doctrines, ethics, morality, teachings, and culture, are distractions from Christ. You consider the epistle to the Galatians. They were distracted from Christ by the law. The law is not evil. The law is not sin. The law is not the world. The law is something that teaches people how to be right. So these believers, they were desiring to be right. But they were using the law and being distracted by it from Christ. So Paul had to write that epistle to those believers who were distracted by the law. Then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, we see that believers can be distracted from Christ by teachings, by doctrines. And that through being little children, teachings and doctrines can become something that cause us to be tossed about. Cause us to be distracted from Christ. From growing up into Christ in all things. Then Colossians was written because the believers were being distracted by philosophy. And also with philosophy, you could say by culture. Then in 1 Corinthians, Paul had to deal with the matter of spiritual gifts. Even spiritual gifts can become something that distract us 
from Christ. So you'll notice these things, they're not sin, they're not the world, they're not evil things. They are good things. But we need to be brought back from so many good things to Christ. And in Philippians chapter 3, you know, Paul gives us his background as a Jew raised in Judaism, being one under the law and being zealous for the law. He pursued the law. He pursued the righteousness that was in the law. But then one day he received the revelation of Christ and he began to experience Christ. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, he says that he was, well, he said that what things were gains to me, these I have counted loss on account of Christ. So, in the footnote, it mentions that all the things that were once gain to Paul, Paul came to realize these things were hindering him. They were holding him back from participating and enjoying Christ. And because of that, he was willing to count those things that were once gains to him as now loss on account of of Christ. You know, I mentioned in Colossians, Paul deals with philosophy. You know, that's the top human invention, philosophy. And all of us, we all come from a background, a national background. And whatever your national background is, just like my national background, it has its philosophy and its logic. We're all born. We're all raised. We were all taught by our national philosophy of what's right and what's logical. And it's something that is good. But as believers, we could still be living according to our national philosophy and logic. But God wants only Christ. So I'm a married brother. There's something in me wants to be a good husband. I'm not just a husband. I'm also a father. There's something in me. I want to be a good husband. Father, but what is my realization of what it means to be a good husband and a good father? If I'm honest, my measure of what it is to be a good husband and good father is not to be someone knowing and experiencing and living Christ, but rather it's whatever my national philosophy and logic has taught me what it means to be a good husband and a good father. And this needs to be replaced. I need to be brought back to Christ to see that the best husband is a brother who is experiencing and living Christ. 
The best father in the way he deals with his children is a father who knows Christ subjectively, experiencing Christ subjectively, and living out this all-inclusive Christ. Well, in one of the ministry portions, Brother Lee was sharing about the young brothers when they want to get married. You know, young brothers, they take a long time trying to consider who will be a good wife, right? And what is their consideration based on? Their national philosophy and logic, including their own logic, right, of who would be a good wife, and they're so careful making sure they pick the one that's the good wife. Then after they get married, Brother Lee says they come to him and they say, what went wrong, Brother Lee? <laughs> right? I thought I picked the good sister to be my wife. And he tells them, nothing went wrong. <laughs> this is under God's sovereignty. Right? For God to now have a way right, to work Christ into you, (laughs) for you to be a husband that loves your wife, right, that cares for your wife. You thought you were picking one that would be easy for you to love and for you to care for. Then you find out that one is not so easy. Thank the Lord. There are no mistakes, right, with God, (laughs) That God wants Christ to be everything to us. That's why he gave us our spouse. That's why he gave us our children. That's why he gave us the saints. That's why he gave us one another. That's why he put us in the locality where we are. That's why you're in the service group that you are in with the other serving ones. Because God has one goal. One intention, to work Christ into you and I till Christ becomes everything. Okay, let's read. Uh, How about brothers read point one under D and sisters point two. The Apostle Paul. Right. Joy cry. So in 1 Corinthians 7.35, Paul ends there by saying that we would be those that wait on the Lord without distractions. Then in point two, you have Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. Then 4.19, we have the matter of Christ being formed in us. Philippians 3, 9 and 10, right? That we would be found in Christ, not having our own righteousness, but the righteousness which is out of God. And that we would know Christ subjectively, and we would know the power of His resurrection so that we could be brought into the fellowship of his sufferings and even conformed to his death. 
You know, in our experiencing of Christ progressively, and I like this utterance, experiencing Christ progressively, uh, we will not experience Christ in a full way this weekend. Uh, This is something that takes place progressively. And there are five stages in our experiencing of Christ. The first stage we see in Galatians 1.16, where the Father reveals Christ in us. Then the second stage is Galatians 2.20, where it is Christ who is living in us. Then in Galatians 4.19, this Christ who's been revealed in us, who's living in us, is being formed in us. Then in Ephesians 3.17, this Christ who is being formed in us He is making home in our hearts to eventually to be the one who possesses and occupies our entire heart. Then in Ephesians 4.13, the fifth stage of our progressing in the experience of Christ, we are brought to have the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In this stage, Christ becomes our measure. We are brought into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But here, we need to see, we need to be progressing, progressing in our experience of Christ. We should not become content. Again, with Paul in the book of Philippians, we know this was written approximately 26 years after his conversion to Christ. And you see, 26 years later, he's not saying, I've arrived, I've attained. No, rather, he speaks about, I have not yet arrived, not yet attained, and I am pursuing, right? I am stretching forward to gain the Christ that is before. You know, we need to have this kind of living, brothers and sisters, to progress in our knowing and experiencing and living of Christ. Okay, then point E. In Philippians 3, 3 to 16, Christ is presented as the goal of the believer's pursuit. Point 1 begins with, on account, on account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Paul counted all things to be lost. So this begins with revelation. We get the revelation of the excellency of Christ. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ is derived from the excellency of his person. Christ, he is excellent. He is the one who is supreme in his preciousness. He is the one who is surpassing in his worth. He is the one that God wants. We have to see such a Christ. Then after we receive such a revelation of the excellency of Christ, we will be brought to do these following points. In verse 2, Paul suffered the loss of all things and counted them as refuse in order to gain Christ. And these things were his pursuing the righteousness that was under the law. 
But once he saw the supreme preciousness of Christ, he was willing to suffer the loss of all things and count whatever had become a distraction from Christ to consider that as refuse or dog food or even dung. But not only that, in point three, this caused him to have the earnest desire to be found in Christ. Saul of Tarsus, if you were to find him, you would find him as a Jew under the law, fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. But now he wanted you to find him in Christ. Then point four. The necessary condition of being found in Christ is not having our own righteousness, but the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. And we know in 1 Corinthians that God has put us in Christ and given Christ to us to be our righteousness. So the righteousness that you could have according to the law, does not compare to the righteousness of God, which we have in Christ. Then five, Paul aspired to know Christ. This is a subjective knowing of Christ. He wanted to know Christ. He wanted to know the power of Christ's resurrection. And he wanted to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Now, these sufferings of Christ refer not to the sufferings of Christ for redemption. Only Christ suffered for them. But these sufferings of Christ refer to the sufferings of Christ for the producing and the building up of the body of Christ. Then 6 says, in Philippians 3.10, Paul speaks of being conformed to Christ's death. This indicates that Paul desired to take Christ's death as the mold of his life. To be conformed to Christ's death is actually the base of our experience of Christ. If we are not conformed to the death of Christ, we do not have the base for our experience of Christ. You know, Christ lived a crucified life where he did not live by his human life, but he chose to live by the Father's life. And this life that Christ lived became a mold for us that today we are being pressed into that mold. And as we allow the Lord to press us into the mold of His death, where we die to the self, to the natural life, so that Christ can live, this becomes the way for us to have the experience of Christ. Then 7 says, Paul experienced Christ as the drink offering and became a drink offering that was poured out upon the sacrifice and service of the saints' faith. Okay, the drink offering, that is a type of Christ that is enjoyed by the offerer. 
Paul became a drink offering by enjoying Christ as the heavenly wine so that he, he, Paul, could also be poured out as a sacrifice to God upon the believer's faith. Then he ends in verse 17 saying, I rejoice and I rejoice together with you all. Well, as I mentioned earlier, this is a gathering of the serving ones in the locality. Are you like Paul in your service? Are you willing to be poured out? To become a sacrifice to God in your service upon the believers? And in doing this, are you doing this rejoicing and rejoicing together with the saints? You know, you cannot be a drink offering if you are not enjoying Christ as the heavenly wine. Sometimes in the service, where the service requires us to be poured out, to be spent, and even to be utterly spent. And even in the service, it seems others are not doing their part. And you have to pour out to not only do your part, but to take care of the lack of others. But if we're not experiencing Christ and enjoying Christ while we're doing that, there won't be the rejoicing in our serving the Lord, and there won't be our rejoicing together with the saints. Rather, what will come out? Probably murmuring, criticism, judgment of the other saints. Is this the kind of church life? (laughs) The kind of service we want to build up in the church? No, no. We may feel like A good part of us is that we are a faithful one, right? We are, we're, the, we're the kind that can never leave something not done. So we feel like we're good in our service because I'm one of those saints that I cannot leave it for others to do. I roll up my sleeves to get it done. And maybe year after year we serve like this. And we feel quite content with our service. But it's not what God wants. Because he sees no Christ. He sees the serving one serving all together according to the natural life. There's no experiencing Christ, living Christ. There's no fragrance of Christ. There's no expression of Christ. So we all have to learn how to serve in this way. Not not according to our good virtues, which I think, and again, can take the lead to confess. Many times in my service, it's been a lot according to my natural virtues. Even the matter of being faithful, taking care of things, can very much be in the natural realm. Yes, the service gets done. 
Yes, it gets done year after year. But God knows. He knows. How much of that was Christ? And how much of that is still you and I? So He's faithful to allow things to take place, even in our service, to cause us to eventually arrive at the realization, I am nothing. I can do nothing. And even what I can do does not satisfy God. I need Christ. I need to learn how to serve by knowing this all-inclusive Christ. So this brings us to F. We need to see a heavenly vision of God's intention to make Christ everything to us. This is God's intention. This is what God wants to do. We cannot make Christ everything to us. All we can do is cooperate with God's working out of His intention that Christ would be everything to us. So point one says, if we receive new mercy and grace from the Lord, we will be able to drop all the good things. Even the best things. And stretch forward to lay hold of Christ Himself. I want to read to you Brother Lee's uh, testimony. He said, Recently the Lord has pointed out to me my shortage in living Christ. Too much of the time I live in something other than Christ, in many good things that are not Christ Himself. Because of this, our situation, I'm sorry, because this is our situation, right? So Brother Lee is taking the lead to confess, but he's very aware this is also our situation. He says, all of us need the Lord to have mercy on us. May the Lord open our eyes to see that the need is not for us to be good, but for us to have Christ as our life and our everything. So I'd like to share just two little um, testimonies here. One um, is involving my visitation to another country to be with the trainees there in the training center. And I would say my observation of the national characteristic of the people in this country is that they are good. They are good people. They just have a good way of living. Even when I'm driving, I don't drive, but when I'm driving around there, and there is utter chaos. It doesn't matter. Lanes mean nothing. Sides of the road mean nothing. 
If there's a gap, if you can get there, that means everything. Okay? I am sitting in the car watching in amazement as everybody is just driving their own way to get to that gap. But never are the horns honking in anger. Never, never have I seen a window roll down and people shouting at one another. And even if there is an evidence of a little fender bender, they're standing there quite nicely speaking to one another and helping one another to get the cars back on the road. They're just good people. They've just been taught to be good. So now I'm in the training center and I'm having appointments with the trainees. And one after another, the second year trainees came to open up, asking me regarding their present experience in the training. And right away, the Lord in the light revealed that what he was touching in them was their natural goodness. And they couldn't take it. They were fine with the Lord touching their sin, touching their worldliness, touching the lacks of their virtues. But when the Lord wanted to touch their virtue of goodness, they couldn't accept it. They couldn't take it. They couldn't understand it. And I was able to share with them because I'm just like them. And even I would say, now this is the second experience I want to share, and it's regarding myself. I would say even very much now in the present, the Lord's working in me is to touch all the good aspects of my natural being. When I was younger, I was pursuing the Lord because I saw my sins, I saw my shortages, I saw my weaknesses. But I never pursued to know the Lord in the good things. But little by little, the Lord is shining His light showing in my marriage, with my wife, with my children, in my full-time service, in my coordination with different saints of different ages. A lot of it has been based on the good things of my being. And now the Lord wants to touch those. He wants me to not rely on that. He wants me to not be distracted from Him in those things. And now I'm having to learn how to know Him, experience, and live Him in the things I thought I already knew how to do these things well. To the point that actually the Lord doesn't want me to do these things. He doesn't want me to be the one who knows how to coordinate with all kinds of different brothers. He wants me to enjoy Him as the one who is able to coordinate with all kinds of different ones. He doesn't want me to be the one that just has a good way of explaining things or sharing things. 
He wants me to enjoy Him as the one who's the Word of God to explain something, to speak something. But the thing is, just like those trainees, I have to be open to the Lord for Him to expose the good things in me, to bring me back from those good things to Himself. And I believe it's the same for all of us. That you have a good heart for the Lord. You love the Lord. That's why you're a serving one. That's why you're sacrificing to serve the Lord and to serve the saints. But the Lord doesn't want you to merely serve Him out of your good virtues. Rather, He wants to bring you to the point where He is everything. We need the Lord's mercy to help us to drop all the good things. It's a mercy that we would be willing to drop these things. Then 2 says, we need to pray that Christ will be everything to us in our daily life. In Colossians 3.17 says, do all things all things, not some things, but and, and, and not just the things that you don't know how to do. Do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. As we are doing various things, we should apply Christ in what we are doing. Every day we need to pray for new experiences of Christ. The one who dwells in us to be our life and everything. This is our great need today. Now let's read Roman numeral 2 together. The issue of our being brought back to Christ Himself is the genuine church life. The genuine church life. We can only have it if we have the subjective experiences of Christ. The genuine church life involves 95% of our daily living. In other words, the genuine church life involves not just the meeting life or the meeting times. The genuine church life involves our daily living. We are the body of Christ. We are all members of the body of Christ. The meetings of the church, they have an end time. All the meetings will end. But when the meeting ends, the body doesn't end. Our being a member of the body of Christ does not end when the meeting ends. When the meeting ends and we go back to our daily life with our wife and our children, with our neighbors, with our colleagues... We are still a member of the body of Christ. And it's here that we need to know Christ. It's here in our daily life that we need to experience the all-inclusive Christ. It's here in our daily life that we need to live Christ. And the issue of this 
subjective knowing of Christ, living of Christ in our daily life will be the genuine church life. So in Colossians 1-2, there it speaks of the church of God. It's the church of God, meaning God is the constituent of the church. For us to have the genuine church life, we need God as the constituent of our life, of our living. Then in Romans 12, 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ. Then we have Romans 16, and we have these five verse references. It's only in these five verses in the book of Romans that the church is mentioned. And the church is mentioned in the last chapter of the book of Romans. This is a strong indication that the many matters that are covered in the book of Romans from chapter 1 to 15 related to God's salvation, judicial redemption, organic salvation. All these are for the producing and the building up of the church. You have to have these things in order for there to be the producing and the building up of the church. So A, the genuine church life is Christ realized, experienced, and expressed by all the saints in a corporate way. God planned the church for the purpose of expressing Christ. Thus, the church is the expression of Christ. The church life is nothing other than the all-inclusive Christ with his unsearchable riches experienced and enjoyed by us and expressed through us. And it's not exclusive to the meetings of the church, but more so in our daily living. If we would have such a church life, we need to be constituted with Christ until all that we are and have is simply Christ himself, who is all and in all. This is the essence and the substance of the church life. Christ is the essence of the church life. If something is the essence, it means if you remove that, that thing is no longer what it is. If you remove Christ, the church is no longer the church. In order for there to be the church or the church life, there must be Christ. Well, how about our church life? How about where we are in the church life? Well, we should go to Revelation. You know, in chapter 1 of Revelation, Christ is the Son of Man. And He's standing there in the midst of the churches. He knows the condition of the golden lampstands. Then in chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation, he has, He's holding the messengers of the churches in His hands. And He sends these messengers to the churches to let the churches know their real condition. 
We, we should not have our view of the church, but rather we need to come to the Lord to know the Lord's view of the church life that we are in. That the Lord could show us whether or not the church life is genuine or not. Whether it's just something outwardly or whether it's something of Christ. Okay, B, the genuine church life is the life of Christ, Christ himself. The genuine church life is not a matter of teaching or doctrine. Rather, it is a life in which Christ himself is realized, experienced, enjoyed, expressed, and exhibited by us. The genuine church life can be realized only by the experience of Christ in our daily life. The Lord's table meeting is a good indicator of the condition of the church. You know, in the Lord's table, when we remember the Lord, it should be from our fresh experiences of Him. If there's a shortage in our prayer and our speaking and our praising of fresh experiences of the Lord in the Lord's table, this should cause us to come to the Lord, to seek Him regarding our living during the week. What is causing us to be distracted from Christ? Okay, see, the way to realize the genuine church life is to experience Christ as everything to us. The genuine church life comes from the genuine inner enjoyment of Christ. The development of Christ into our inward being issues in the genuine church life. Don't you love that utterance? The development of Christ into our inward being. Okay, three. In order to have a church life to express Christ according to God's eternal purpose, our soul must be subdued and saturated with Christ as the Spirit. Okay, let's all read D with the subpoints. The genuine church life requires us to take up the cross and follow Him. We, His believers, were crucified with Christ, and now we must bear the cross. The self must be crossed out so that Christ can come of the church life. There is no other way. There's no other way. Then E, the genuine church life is through the inner experience of the indwelling Christ. The entire New Testament is filled with the revelation of the indwelling Christ. In Ephesians 3, 16 to 21, Paul prayed that we would be strengthened with power into the inner man with the result that Christ could make his home in our hearts and thereby occupy, possess, permeate, and saturate our whole inner being with himself. When Christ is able to make his home in our hearts, occupying all the inward parts of our being, we will be able to have the genuine church life. In order for us to have the genuine church life, we need to experience and enjoy the riches of Christ. Okay, there's no problem with the riches of Christ. (laughs) The problem is with us, right? When our enjoyment of Christ is lacking, the church life will be poor, right? There will be a shortage 
of the genuine church life. One, the genuine church life is not an organization. It is in our spirit, which is nourished with the riches of Christ until we are filled unto all the fullness of God. The genuine church life is a corporate life of seeking believers who are filled with the riches of Christ unto all the fullness of God. That is unto the expression of the triune God. Okay, the fullness comes out of our enjoyment of the riches. Three, it is through the inner experience of the indwelling Christ that we apprehend with all the saints the unlimited measure of Christ and have the genuine church life for the building up of the body of Christ. If we all experience and enjoy the riches of Christ, the genuine church life as the fullness, the expression of Christ, will be produced spontaneously. Okay, let's all read G together. All the saints need to experience something of Christ. Daily life. Whom we experience to exhibit this Christ, to share with one another, and to enjoy Him with God. Amen. Okay, how about we pray with our neighbor just for one minute, and then we will have um, the confirming word. Right?